To direct our thoughts towards the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning from 2 Corinthians, Paul has this to say. If you have your Bibles and you want to join me in the first chapter of the book of 2 Corinthians, I just have some thoughts as we prepare our hearts to think on the gospel through the receiving of the Lord's Supper. Paul writes to the Corinthians in his second letter. He says this beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope and he will deliver, that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this beautiful reminder of who you are and what it is that you have done for us in your son Jesus Christ what your promise is even in the midst of our difficult lives. So as we take this time to remember the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill our hearts. I pray that you would open our minds. I pray that you would remind us of the power and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ even today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. So I was reading through this passage and meditating on this passage of Scripture. Some things stood out to me. First and foremost, as Paul begins this passage of Scripture and he begins to, to comfort the uh, Corinthians, he begins with praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and mercies and the God of all comfort. If you remember when we were preaching and teaching through prayer and the practice of prayer, praise is what we give to God for who he is. Paul starts with a reminder of God's own nature and his character. And as he starts here, he reminds us that God is the God of a father of mercies. Mercy being when we don't receive the punishment, the justice that we may deserve. Our God is a God who loves to spare us oftentimes the consequences and the guilt and the shame that we deserve because of our sin. But he's also the God of all comfort, a, a manifestation, I believe, of his grace that God loves to lavish upon us, he tells, Paul tells us in Ephesians, lavish upon us his forgiveness and to lavish upon us his grace again and again. And Paul begins there with that praise of who God is because he's going to immediately turn from seeing who God is to looking into the world and seeing the problem that is here. And the problem we know from the story of Scripture is sin. That sin is present in our lives. Sin is present in our society. Sin is, is present even in this place right now in our hearts and in our relationships again and again. It is sin that is the underlying problem that broke all of God's good, perfect design. It was when Adam and Eve chose to run from God, to rebel against his perfect command, that first sin. And we've been running and rebelling ever since. And it's in our running and our rebelling from God that the world around us 
is suffering under the weight of our sin. Death, disease, all that thing, all that is evident here as Paul moves to talk about the presence of affliction, we know that the root of that is sin. And that affliction takes many different forms. As I said, maybe you're here this morning and your heart is broken for any myriad of reasons. Maybe it is very difficult. As you think about this morning, you know someone who laid their life on the line, a soldier that was lost, whose life was laid down. We have a a plaque out in the lobby of those who are members of this church who died in service to our country. I know this morning can be particularly difficult for some of our soldiers. Maybe you're here and your heart is heavy because of the news over the last several weeks, especially of the mass shooting in Texas and in Buffalo, and your heart is breaking as ours has broken as we have looked at picture after picture of 10 and 11-year-olds knowing that they were laying on a floor, dying, and seeing in that the face of our own son. Maybe your heart is breaking in that way. Maybe your heart is breaking because of the news of the sin that is in the midst of our own denomination over the last 20 years as the report was released last Sunday and more news is still to come. Maybe your heart is broken for any myriad of reasons. We know that affliction is real because sin is real. And Paul wants to see us to see even in this passage of Scripture that sin is not something that is foreign to the experience and to the life of someone who is in Christ. Paul opens this passage of Scripture that he is an apostle of Christ by the will of God, who's been sent by God. And yet, in that sending and in that life and in that journey, Paul says right here in that second paragraph, he says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we've experienced. We were at the place where we had even despaired of life itself and were convinced we were just going to die. Paul experienced severe affliction. Sometimes in the form of persecution, but sometimes just in the, the realm of, that we live in in which it is broken by sin and we face the consequences of our own sin and the sins that are against us. The Christian life is a life that is going to experience suffering. In verse 4, Paul assumes there's affliction. In verse 5, he assumes that there's affliction and suffering. In verse 6 and verse 7, he talks about the presence of afflictions and sufferings. Together, eight different times, four times he uses the word affliction, four times he uses the word suffering, all in relation to the experience of the Christian. Brothers and sisters, if you are experiencing affliction this morning, if you are suffering, if your heart is heavy and grieved because of the reality of sin in your life or in our society, understand that God is not far from you. Because Paul doesn't merely just focus on the problem that he sees of sin and affliction. He talks about this promise that this God who is the Father of mercies and is the God of all comfort comforts us in our afflictions. Do you hear that word? In is important there. Because God is not far off watching our sufferings from a distance. Instead, God has chosen to see our broken world and see us in our brokenness and not sit back at the height of his authority and power in the thrones of heaven. But the Bible teaches us that God in his grace and in his love showed his love by stepping into this world of brokenness and sin. And Jesus Christ entered into this world and Jesus Christ himself suffered. He suffered at the hands of injustice as false accusations were brought against him. He suffered in the midst of a broken world, though he was perfect and sinless and holy. He suffered when he took the punishment by dying on the cross that you and I deserve, and he never did. Christ walked a path of suffering 
He's not indifferent to your suffering. He's not detached from your affliction. Instead, he is the one who entered into our brokenness and continues to enter into our lives of affliction and suffering and brokenness that he might comfort us from within our difficult times in our lives. Paul tells us that when he had lost all hope, it was at the point where he came to the end of himself, where he was convinced that he was going to die, when there was nothing left in his own strength or his own power to be able to deal with the problem that was so afflicting him that he realized that it was God who raises from the dead. Verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. The God who raises the dead. God often takes us through difficult seasons and difficult times, and we'll see he always does it with a purpose, but oftentimes it's to bring us to the end of ourselves, to empty us of ourselves. Because brothers and sisters, as long as we are full of ourselves, we will never have room to be full of Christ. It's God who loves to take the gentle. It's God who loves to take the lowly. The proud are the ones he brings down, but the lowly, the low places. I'm so grateful for for Dr. Ray Ortland as he has been reminding us again and again, or reminding me in a podcast that I've been listening to, that the Bible tells us God dwells in two places, in the highest heights of all of holy heaven, where you and I have no ability to get to. He dwells in the highest places, and he dwells at the lowest points, among the lowly. We can't go high, but if you and I are willing to go low, to humble ourselves and go down, to where Christ is, where we admit our need, God is always faithful to fill us with himself because he's the God who has the ability to raise from the dead. Brothers and sisters, we're people of the resurrection. Amen? We'll see next week when we celebrate Pentecost, the Holy Spirit changes everything. The Holy Spirit changes everything. The Holy Spirit who who has the power to raise the dead back to life. It doesn't matter how broken your circumstances may feel. It doesn't matter how broken our denomination may seem. It doesn't matter how broken this church may get, your marriage, your home, or anything else. It doesn't matter if it is even dead. God is the one who has the power and the authority to raise from the dead. Do you believe that? It doesn't matter how dark our our nation gets. It doesn't matter how damaged the world gets. Guess what? It all falls apart in the end, and it's from the ashes of the world that heaven comes down, and all things are restored. We are the people of the resurrection, so we don't ever have to lose hope. There is never a circumstance so dark that God can't bring life out of death. That's the promise that we get in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's through that promise when we turn to Christ and are filled with Christ and filled with the power of God that God reminds us that everything that he takes us through, it has a purpose. Look what he says, what Paul says there at the opening beginning. God is the God who comforts us in all our affliction so that. So that are two words that you point together. Whenever you see that in Scripture, that's an indication that there is a purpose behind whatever is happening. And the purpose that God has given us and given our affliction and our suffering is so that we may be able to comfort anyone who is in any affliction. Do you see that? 
There is no affliction beyond the comfort of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no affliction so dark that you and I can't walk in as those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are raised to new life in Jesus Christ, who are suffering with Christ. He invites us, verse 5, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. As we enter into the midst of someone else's darkness and sit with them, manifesting the grace and the mercy and the presence and the power of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, God doesn't often comfort us in our affliction with some supernatural, vague, spiritual experience where we feel the warm, fuzzy arms of God around us. God often reaches us in our, in our afflictions and in our sufferings through another believer in Jesus Christ. That's how God comforts us in our afflictions. That's how God reaches us. It is one believer to another believer entering into each other's sufferings so that through our presence with one another, we become a personal manifestation of the grace and mercy of God. We are called not only to believe that the gospel transforms lives, but to gather because we're not meant to live this life alone. On the other side of Pentecost, we're going to look at what the Holy Spirit came and what did the Holy Spirit come to build? He came to build a people, a church. And we're going to start asking the question, what is the church? What is a good and biblical definition of the church? What are the different positions and the places and the purpose of people in the church? Because brothers and sisters, we have to come to a place where we realize, let's be real honest, we told the federal government that the church wasn't essential long before they did in COVID. Because we weren't coming. We weren't gathering. We were prioritizing any myriad of other things besides being with one another. And so I urge those of you that are online, if you're here, our online audience, we're grateful that you are here, and it is specifically meant to be a place, a, a stopgap, if you will, between when you can be here and when you can't, so that if you're on vacation or if you're sick or anything else, you can still participate. But it is not a substitute for physically being among other believers in Jesus Christ. So we invite you, come back to the gathering because we need you. And you need us because we are meant to comfort one another such that when we gather together, the Christ that is in me is an encouragement to you. And the Christ that is in you is an encouragement to me. And we get the opportunity not to show up on Sunday morning to say, okay, here I am. We get to show up instead on Sunday morning and go, oh, there you are. How can I love you? How can I speak words of encouragement over you? How can I be an agent of God's comfort and mercy in your heart and in your life by speaking the truth of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? Because my affliction and my suffering has a purpose. Just as Christ's suffering was for other people, so our suffering is for one another and not just for ourselves. And there's hope in that. There is grace in that. There's goodness in that because Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf that we might be set free from sin and have the hope that though we may suffer and have afflictions now in this life, the promise is that will one day end. That will end for all of those who are in Christ. Those who have responded to the call of Jesus Christ that says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a demand for a response that you would come and trust in Christ 
to carry the weight of your punishment for sin and give you his righteousness for everlasting life. To trust in that not merely once, but every moment of every day. As you continue to return to Christ in gratitude and thanksgiving and in praise and growing deeper in your appreciation for and understanding of and reception of the gospel, not beyond it. Christian maturity isn't moving beyond the gospel to something else. It's moving deeper into the gospel that your roots may grow deep and that your branches may grow far and wide and healthy. And so the invitation is come. Because if you've not received Christ, if you've not placed your faith and trust in him, the promise of Scripture isn't that your suffering will end, but that the suffering and affliction will go on forever and forever and forever as you suffer eternal, everlasting spiritual death separated from God. And so the invitation is come and instead receive life. Receive grace. Receive mercy. Receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grow up in that grace and in that mercy and in the gospel. Give of yourself because you've been given so much in Christ. And go out into the world as emissaries, ambassadors, transformed by the gospel to share the gospel with others. Because heaven forbid anyone that we know or love experience that eternal suffering separated from God. Let our hearts break for those that are afflicted around us and suffering. But let us also be the ones who go with the message of hope and salvation in Jesus Christ alone.